So, it's question time on Nightwatch, gentle listeners. I see by the old clock on the wall that it's very nearly Father's Day. So, tonight's question is, what is a father? Green. We have a caller. And the caller says that a father is altruistic. Psst. Too bad. Thanks for playing them. Every parent wants something in return. Love. Loyalty. Nothing is free. Welcome back, friends. Welcome back. It's time for another episode, a Forever Night episode. Forever Night Season 2, Episode 10, Father's Day. And this was a really good episode. We were engaged. We were amused. We were... This is a good episode. I mean, we had... Uh, I like the cult episode just fine, Faithful Followers. It's okay. And then we we immediately followed up with Undue Process, which is like a pretty heavy episode. And then we have this one where it's not light, but I think we finally get some of the character interaction that we've been really dying for for a Probably couple the, of episodes. The Laquanic dynamic that you remember yeah. that you want to go back and yes, experience. Yeah. You know what we haven't really had in a while is just a good... This is Nick as a vampire, Nick trying to deal with life as a vampire, Nick trying to not make it personal when it's... It when is it very is, personal. It is very personal. But before we get into it, hi, I'm Rachel. And I'm Matt. And this is... Come in, 81 Kilo. Forever Night Podcast. <laughs> That's never going to not be amusing. All right. Yes, I think this is definitely a... You remember we we talked about in Undue Process the fact that um, he didn't make that personal at all. He just kind of remembered a time that he had been the victim of like a citizen group of vigilante justice. And he offered us no opinion on the matter. It was kind of like, well, I didn't... I handled it poorly. It wasn't like... Well, they should not have accused me, but also I shouldn't have accused them. And like an eye for an eye makes the world blind situation. It was more like a, yeah, that happened to me once. Yeah. And I don't want anyone else to experience that injustice. Right. Not but, not even. No. No, that would have implied he had voiced an opinion and he didn't at any point voice an opinion about it. He was just like, yeah, I see where they're coming from. Because that happened to me one time. Hey, Natalie, want to hear about the time I got hung? She was like, God, stop talking to me about how you're hung. And he was like, all right, fine. <laughs> Even though they weren't having the same conversation. Yeah. <laughs> Just like you made a crack about it. But in this one, uh, it shit gets personal again. And we get 
Lacroix, and we get Jeanette. We have not seen the his, whole gangs here. We have not seen his vampire family in a hot minute. I mean, we saw Jeanette in Faithful Followers because we had the part where Natalie went to talk to Jeanette. And Jeanette was getting the vag tattooed on her arm. Yeah, yeah. A rose, sorry, <laughs> it's a rose. It's a vag. Um, and she was like, uh, "Really? Do we give a shit that he's in a cult? I'm pretty sure he that that tracks. So I'm um, I don't care. Um, but we haven't really seen Lacroix, and this is a good one with Lacroix. We get a lot more about their relationship. Yeah, there's a lot of kind of background development on who they are, who they see themselves as. Yes, like what role Lacroix feels like he has in Nick's life and a little bit about why he can't seem to let Nick go. Because we've gotten a lot of like, oh, Lacroix is such an asshole. Lacroix plays these mean old jokes, mean old Lacroix. But we haven't gotten like, why does Lacroix do what he does? What motivation does he have? Honestly, it's been 800 years of him just being pissed at Nicholas the vast majority of the time. Why has he never given up? What in Lacroix make? Because I feel like Lacroix as a character, there's literally nothing that we have seen so far that makes me believe he's so committed to Nicholas. He's willing to dedicate the better part of a thousand years to breaking him back into being a cool vampire. It's literally like they had a honeymoon decade where they were pillaging and murdering together. And he's just been trying to get back to that for the next 790 years. Right. Yeah. All right. So we start with... um, What's our crime opening? It's kind of a crime opening. We don't... We have a murder, but the murder is really secondary in this episode because what we open with is... The Constantine crime family. Oh, that's right. Yeah. It's the uh, great-granddaddy Constantine at yeah. the head of the table kind of preparing his, I don't know, board? Uh, is it a like a board of directors? If it's <laughs> the board of directors of his mob? I don't know. I don't know. His, uh, the other mob associates, I guess? Maybe like the heads oh, of- Oh, his lieutenants. His lieutenants. All right, let's go with that. The heads of- like, he delegates, right? He can't yeah. control all of Toronto. It's probably divided up. But my favorite part about this scene is the mob mansion. This whole house is so 90s. I feel like you could distill it and bottle it and sell it at Forever 21 right now. The nostalgia. It is the glass brick wall. The whole front wall is glass brick. And then there's this flat trim that looks, I think it's really lightly stained wood. Well, that's on David's house. Yeah, this is on David's house. We don't get to see Constantine's exterior. We only right. see interior shots of where he is. Yeah, So, but we get a lot of the exterior of this, quote, let's call it the mob mansion, because honest to God, that's what it looks like. If you drove past that, you'd right. be as, like, oh, that's a mob house. As the sole heir of the Constantine family yeah. business. David and his family have a really nice house for the, for 90s. the 90s. Yeah. It reminds me of, so in The Lost Boys, there's a scene where the mom goes to visit Sam, not Sam, but um, the head vampire's house, the guy who owns the video rental store. Yes. Yeah. And it is like 
90s. It's got a pillar with neon lights wrapped around it that like the lights go up and down and there's like, anyway, it's so like late 80s, early 90s. And that's exactly what this house is. I will not continue on this track because I could go on forever and I'm going to revisit it because every time we go into the house, we get new and a more amazing 90s-ness. We get another peek at the the whole just, aesthetic on the interior and exterior of I the house. I just want to know, what was the obsession with glass bricks in the 90s? Because in the first season, we get a lot of um, like Stone Tree's office. And I think maybe it's just in Dark Knight, but Stone Tree's office has like a glass brick wall. Well, glass bricks at the time were a little new. Yeah. And they are a structural material. Does anyone still use glass bricks? Are they still coasting on that 90s money? I don't know. I really I don't know like if anybody still does, but a structural engineer told me that the glass bricks structurally are as strong as regular bricks. Right. So you can build like a load-bearing wall out of these glass bricks. Clearly, because this guy has one. Clearly. Yeah. Because Clearly. they let light through. Ba, ba, ba. That was the attractive thing is it yeah. is a fairly cheap building material. It's structural. It's a load-bearing material. Yeah. And it lets light through. I mean, no shade on glass bricks. I think they're fine. I just feel like you don't see them unless it's from the 90s and then people are always like, oh, this is so dated. Yeah. Eh. I mean, they are, I guess. But anyway, to di we digress about the bricks. But really this whole opening scene is just – uh, granddaddy Constantine trying to tell everybody he's handing it off to his great grandson David Constantine, mm -hmm. and David being like, "I don't wanna, I don't wanna do it, I don't wanna do it," and he ends up getting picked up by a guy in a tracksuit. Oh man, this tracksuit! This tracksuit. Okay, like, so this is Jimmy something oh, Lamar. Yeah, Lamar. Yeah. Maybe yeah, because he gets killed like immediately, so we yeah. don't really even need to. But know his he's name. like a. I don't know if he's a cop or if he's a like a, an informant or something. Yeah, he's someone who's trying to take down the family, and he thinks David he's is helping going, the cops do it. Yeah, he thinks David's gonna gonna turn on gonna the turn on the family. So he's he's gonna pick him up and he's gonna bring him into the station because this is their best shot of David getting his family out of this business because he doesn't want it. And I, my favorite part about this is. He is fleeing his mob boss family because they are ruthless killers. And the guy's like, do you want to bring your wife and kid? And he's like, nah, they'll be fine. Well, no, Jimmy says they're not after your family. They're yeah. after you. Right. They won't bother your wife and child. And he just goes with it. He's like, fair. Yeah. But Jimmy accurate. has an ulterior motive because Jimmy has, is working with skanky right on well, delivering he's not, he's not working with he's just working in general i don't well, think I, he's related he to hasn't skanky. i mean i don't think skanky's part of this that's what um cohen says oh well maybe later. maybe they're working i think specifically on the skanky had problem. kind of like casually mentioned to this guy hey if you could get me david constantine That'd be awesome. Well, we know that Cohen has been after the Constantine family since right. she was a rookie. Yes. And so yeah. I think Skanky had just, you know, proposed this arrangement with Jimmy. And Jimmy was like, I got you, fam. Yeah. 
I got you, fam. <laughs> um, I don't know, because we actually get less skanky in this episode than we do LaCroix. Right. And I think this is the Cohen's reference to skanky arranging this yeah. is more the justification for Nick and Skanky to be a part lead of this. up on this. Oh, yeah. heck yeah, it is. Yeah, that's the only yeah the only reason they mention right. the Skanky Jimmy Link and but, Skanky's like oh, I didn't no don't don't depend on Jimmy he's not yeah uh, he's not great. Well, we wrap up. Through. I mean, we wrap up the cold open with somebody whispers in Great Granddaddy Constantine's ear. Oh yeah, and, after David and Jimmy get away, right? And he's like. There is no harder day in a father's life than the day he must discipline a child. But love demands sacrifices from us all. The family must be protected. The hardest day is when a father must discipline his child, but the family must be protected. And then it's like, but um bottom we go right into the <laughs> like okay this is gonna be good and then we come back and i think this scene is hysterical we laughed so much at this episode let me tell you but like this is the part where skanky is trying to get sunday off because cohen has realized that he has been cumulatively late so much he needs an additional six hour shift to make up for all the time he has not worked I guarantee you Skanky's worked plenty of overtime. He's partners with Nick. Right. But maybe They're that... always making cracks about how much overtime Skanky works. Right. Maybe, and he's like, I'm maybe gonna... flex some hours out. Yeah, but Sunday is Father's Day. Eddie, he, he's got a trip planned yeah, up he's to like, the cabin. He's like, I just want to go to the cabin. I want to hang out with the wife and kid. I want to, you know see my daughter before she grows up and leaves the house and so he's trying to get everybody to do it and even though he's covered for other people they're not willing to cover for him why are they in the locker room what are they putting on because nick walks around the corner and he's buttoning up his shirt was he wearing something else when he arrived at work you know what i imagine i'm okay here's what i imagine nick has this hang on Nick has a locker, and when he opens it, it's just a line of vests. <laughs> Different vests. Not bulletproof vests. Oh, no. Just decorative vests. Because he is wearing black pants, and he's buttoning up this black shirt. And he's like, Skanky, I'll work. He's like, we're off Sunday. And Skanky's like, no, I, you don't understand. Cohen's making me work. And Nick's like, well, I'll cover for you. It's fine. Like, what, do I, what am I going to do? Spend time with my family? And Skanky's like, oh, my God thank you so much. Like, what do I owe you? And he's like, nothing. That's what our partner's for. It's fine. And then when they walk out, he has on his like tartan vest, his like his khaki patterned vest. We've seen yeah. it a couple of times. It's like flat bottomed. So he literally went in the locker room to put his vest on. Not a bulletproof vest, just a vest. Because what else is he doing in there? What does he keep in his locker? It's not like he's a he uniform. Has, he has a commuting vest. Okay. And he has a work vest. And so at home, he puts on his commuting vest and he drives into work. Then he goes to the locker room. He takes and he off his takes commuting off vest. his commuting vest and puts on his work vest. What are they doing in the locker room? Doesn't make any sense. It's it's a situation where Skanky would have 
easy access to a lot yes, of his no, peers. Yes, no, I know why okay. they are in the locker room narratively. I just don't know what the justification other than that is because For we Nick, know we right? know Nick takes his gun home because we've seen him come home with his right. shoulder and holster on. He's not like a a beat cop. He yeah. He's not putting on a uniform. No. He's a detective, so yeah. he doesn't have to wear his uniform. He just has to wear his gun and his badge somewhere. Yeah, I swear to God, he's got backup vests, and that's all that's in there. But you know what he got? And I think we should all just take a moment and be thankful for a haircut. Woo! He finally got a haircut. Somebody probably took him aside and they were like, Gare, listen, I know you're rocking the curls, man, but can we go a little more profesh? We're heading into mullet territory. And Garrett was like, all right, fine. Fine. And he went and got a haircut. Thank you, Jesus. Um, but he's, of course, he's going to cover for skanking. He's like, but not for your electric lumbar pillow. Okay. Right, <laughs> which I, I feel like John Capelos improvised that oh, line. You like know he, he was, yeah, he was just yeah, you know, throwing stuff out there. They probably had like twenty takes of him going through the locker room, yeah, propositioning like, people like to, the, yeah, like the rumored NC seventeen cut of Mrs. Doubtfire because Robin Williams kept oh, going yeah. off so much, yeah. So they walk out having put on their non-commuting vest and suit jacket. And this is when Cohen walks up to them and she's like, uh, guys, David Constantine is coming in to rat out the family. We're going to take down the entire Constantine family who's been in power in Toronto for like a hundred years. And Skanky's like, cool, cool. Sounds great. Really, the amount of excitement about this is is pretty low because they well, probably skanky hearing that hey somebody's bringing in David Constantine we're gonna you know he's gonna turn over on his family yeah skanky's like all right and all that's right. not my gig well let's see I, I don't work I think it's a we'll believe it when it happens situation yeah because now they have to go meet him they have to go meet this guy and david constantine and so they get in the car and they're driving and this is when skanky is answering questions for his uh for jenny's questionnaire because he goes what is that word it's like this this is the real story of the episode is answering the question what is a father what is a father yes this is absolutely the theme of this episode what is a father and he asks nick well, what's that word? It means like selfless. It starts with an A and Nick's like altruistic. And he's like, yes, altruistic. That's a good one. That's a good one. Uh, yeah, because he's answering a questionnaire for Jenny's school for Father's Day. And they arrive at the meeting and the car is empty and abandoned. The door's <gasps> open. There's nobody there. Jimmy's car. And of course, Nick just walks down the alleyway and is like, oh, yeah, there's a dead guy up there because... I smell the blood. <laughs> uh, tracksuit is dead. Oh, no. No. Uh, yeah. And then, like, we cut immediately to Natalie's climbing down the ladder. Like, she went up there to in- inspect him in situ, and now she's coming back down. And she's all better. She's all better. Remember that part, like, last week? When, Where she was really when having she a rough was really time. upset, yeah, because her goddaughter died. Well, it's all gone. Sorry. It's all done now. Um yeah, she's like Natalie's good at compartmentalizing. She must be because she's lost two family members so far, and honestly, she's still co- she's coping 
really, really well. And she's basically like, he got shot twice, 20, 30 feet away. Really great marksman. Uh, twice in the back, once in the head. Yeah. So he was... Profesh. He was executed profesh style. And Nick is like, oh, okay. Because she says, you know, David is running away. Everybody's after him. He's going to be lucky to get out of here alive. Like everyone, the Constantine family knows he's, he's, he was going to rat them out. And now they're after him. And Nick is like, I remember a time that my father chased me out of a city. (laughs) (laughs) David's story resonates so deeply with Nick. We go immediately into a flashback and it is granddaddy Constantine when he was young and he opens up this shipping container and inside is... Nick. Nick. Surprise. So Nick shipped himself across the Atlantic and got picked up by Constantine. And Constantine gives him this glass bottle with blood in it. Quote, blood. I have a complaint about Forever Night. It is I wish they had tried just a little bit harder on the blood. And this might have been a ratings restriction thing. Like, we might not have been able to be too oh, graphic. Oh, yeah, like a, a overly realistic depiction of blood. Yeah, that, I mean, it really could have been. I mean, they, so you've seen The Shining, you know, the scene where they have the blood that comes out of the, mm-hmm. they almost didn't get that through. They had to, like, it was a different color when they showed it to the ratings board, and then they switched it to red. <laughs> because there was a lot of, you know, there was a lot of taboo about showing realistic blood on television mm-hmm. at this point. And that might have been why we chose to go with like, it's a dark red liquid. That's Okay, my head canon is, and I've explained this to you before. Yeah. That they treat the blood like when Nick has the blood in the barrel. Right. Like yes. They add vampire blood to it or right. they have some process to yeah. preserve the blood yes. yeah. and it makes it more liquidy. His Kirkland light blood barrel. Yes. yes. So that's that's what I think is happening is there's I mean, go with there's it. blood. Sure. But then there's like the preserved bottled blood. Yeah. That lasts indefinitely. Right. And this is human blood because he says, I have a contact at the hospital. So I can get you anything you want. And I mean anything. Wink, wink. Wink, wink. And then he asks him, will you be followed? And the look Nick gives him. I fucking died. He was like, God, don't even fucking get me started. Like, Will I be followed? You have no fucking idea how hard I will be followed. (laughs) I died the look was hysterical because it said everything which was like have you met lacroix trust me you'll understand when you do and you're gonna because he's gonna be here if you haven't already you're gonna meet you're gonna meet him and then we go back to the present and you can tell this is modern day super modern day because their address number is is neon a neon sign fluorescent surrounded lady. by glass bricks. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a three-sided wall with an angled number. I think it's 80 or 90 neon sign mm-hmm. in the middle of it. So that way from the road, looking at the house, you have this glowing 
numbers. I tell you what, I have delivered pizza. I have delivered pizza. And finding people's address numbers is like hands down the hardest part of the job. And I would have loved to see a large glowing neon sign with somebody's address number on it. But Skanky and Nick go to the house to talk to David's wife because, of course, she's still at the house with their son. And Skanky is the one who starts talking to her. And he's trying to be very respectful. Unlike season one Skanky, season two Skanky really is trying to be respectful to everybody. He's got his, like, hands clasped in front of him. And he's like, well, where is your husband? And she's like, uh, New York. He's in New York on business. And he's like, listen, we know he's not in New York. But she is absolutely not being receptive to Skanky's questioning. So Nick and Skanky this do well this. This well-choreographed. Super. Like rotation. Super choreographed rotation. And they do this almost every time they question somebody, which is Skanky starts. And then as soon as it gets tough or as soon as they stonewall, he just, they do like a honeypot switch. They're he like, backs okay, up. let's let the handsome one talk yeah. now. <laughs> All right, fine. Here's my hot partner. And so they let Skanky back up and Nick walks in to ask her some questions, but it doesn't actually work this time because Nick... Nick doesn't employ any vampire powers or anything. He's just trying to use his his charm to get her to answer questions. And she's like, fuck you, I'm not going to answer. Yes, he's in New York on business. No, I'm not going to give you anything else. I, I'm going to protect my family, the family. Right. She still thinks that her and David are on on the good side with the family. Right. She hasn't realized that things... The tables have turned. Yeah. But uh, they leave because this isn't working out. And so they end up going outside. And Nick senses something outside the house. He does his, like, commune with the cosmos moment. And Skanky comes out. And Skanky's like, you you good? And Nick's like, yep, all good, fine. So they drive back to the precinct. And Skanky's going to go in. And he's like, oh, I'm going to have to go in. Like This is going to suck work. I have to go talk to Cohen. And Nick's like, correction, you're going to have to talk to Cohen because there's something I need to go check out. Skanky, I got to go around. Except they don't <laughs> use the code word at all this episode. Um, Skanky's like, oh, hell no, you are not letting me go in there and talking to Cohen all by myself. And Nick's and- like, hey, you owe me one for Sunday. Yeah. Remember how I told you that was free just because I was your partner? I lied like a liar. I lied like a rug, Skanky. I'm calling in your favor. It's due. You got to go talk to Cohen on your own because I got shit I got to do. Cohen is going to become a little drill sergeant after this development. (laughs) Hello? You coming? Uh, You go ahead. There's something I need to check out. Wait, 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 wait. There's something you got to check out? And you want me to go in there and tell the captain we've got nothing? No way. No, no, no. I'm not letting you off this one. You come with me. You owe me one, remember, for Sunday? So he's driving off to go do whatever it was. He's going around, right? Skanky went in to talk to Cohen, and Nick is going around. And we get some Nightcrawler. (gasps) And it is LaCroix. And LaCroix is using Skanky's words from earlier. What is a father? What is a father? He's like, is a father altruistic? Eh, Nope. He's like, every parent wants something. He even pretends that there's a caller. He's like, A caller, ah, this one says, a father's altruistic. 
Lies. He's like, nope, every parent Nick, wants something. I've been watching you. <laughs> He's like, nothing is free. He's like, did he, wh- what about your father? Did he promise to take care of you? Did he keep his promise? (laughs) 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 Oh, the delicious melodrama of every line that LaCroix gets. And I don't know who else could have delivered this. I don't know who you could put in this role and make them LaCroix besides Nigel Bennett. But Nick goes back to the house, and this time he really does go around because David is like, lurking in the bushes behind his own house and has been <laughs> and has been for the amount of time that it took Nick and Skanky to drive back to the precinct and then come and for then Nick to come back alone. And he has a brief chat with him because he's like Johnny Lamar, the guy tracksuit. You know, he thought this was about taking about the fam taking down the family, but David doesn't actually want to betray his family. He just wants to leave. And he's like, I just want to start over. I grew up with killing, but I don't want to be a killer. And Nick is like, ding, ding, ding. You have pressed the correct key. I know exactly what that's like. <laughs> oh, oh, my gosh. Oh, now Nick's all in. He's like, what And then do you the need? guy keeps, there's a flashback. Need? Yeah. And oh, then yeah. after the flashback, this guy keeps talking, but... <laughs> Nick is still in the flashback. <laughs> Nick is so, just staring at him. So we we get like the the outside experience again of, of what it's like what when it's Nick like is when Nick is in a flashback. You know when you're talking to somebody and they're looking at you, but they're clearly not listening, and so you just keep talking because you're trying to figure out if they're going to tune back in or not, and then you kind of trail off. That's what's happening to poor David because yeah. what Nick is remembering is what led up to him shipping himself from Paris over to Toronto. And it was Lacroix catches him walking out. With some herbs. And he's like, what do you have? And Nick's like, nothing. And he's like, Nick, what do you have? And so he takes it out of his jacket and hands it to him. And it's like Chinese medicine, like herbs and tonics. He's like, rare tonics. Difficult to find herbs. And he's like... Ancient Chinese elixirs. Are you trying to find a cure again? And Nick's like, maybe. Stop it. Stop it, Dad. (laughs) Get the (laughs) fuck out of my business. Uh, But this actually gets a little physical because LaCroix is like, God damn it, Nicholas. And he ends up pushing him up against the wall and like slapping him around a little. This has nothing to do with you. Of course it's to do with me. I gave you power. I gave you my eternal protection. And you want to go back? Can you imagine how that makes me feel? You will stop this pathetic search for a cure. You make a fool of yourself and a fool of me. You're my creature, Nicholas. Made in my image. Then I am a monster. Which we have not seen, like, I mean, we've seen him be emotionally abusive. We've seen him be emotionally manipulative. We've seen him use coercive control, which is a considered a form of abuse in every country except the United States. You're welcome. And um, we've seen him do a lot of very abusive things, but not a lot of physically abusive things. And this is one of the first time we see LaCroix. Um, being really violent with Nicholas. Mm-hmm. And it's a little bit jarring. It's a little bit jarring. But it 
I think it's supposed to be an expression of just how frustrating Nicholas is for Lacroix. Because we get a lot of how frustrating Lacroix is to Nick. We don't get a ton of just how much that makes Lacroix feel like um, unaccepted. Like he's not good enough for Nick. Mm -hmm. Because this gift, what he considers a gift that he gave Nick, Nick won't stop trying to give it back. And he actually tells him, can you imagine how this makes me feel watching you do this for hundreds of years? He's like, I made you in my image. And Nick goes, yeah, then I'm a monster. Good job, Nick. Yeah, good job, Nick. LaCroix's like, oh, what did you say to me? (laughs) Can you say that again? I mean, it's a very heated altercation that they have in this flashback. And I think that's why he has like lag because David's still talking to him and Nick's just like, hang on a minute. I had like a PTSD flashback. I just need like a second. Um, But all in all, David is really speaking Nick's love language. I want to get away. I don't want to be a killer. My dad is overbearing. He or my grandfather in this case, great grandfather. My father figure is overbearing and won't let me go. And I have to and go to... And keeps pursuing me when I'm trying to leave. Yeah, and I have made it clear I don't want to be like him, but he just won't accept that I don't want to be like him. And Nick is like, check, check, check. Yes. Do you want to come back to my place? <laughs> <laughs> so, so I jokingly said, <laughs> oh, I think Nick's like, you know, we need to get you into protective custody. And he's like, no, you won't be able to protect me. And I was like, we just need to... Have him stay at Nick's place. Yeah. Matt's like, he's going to end up at Nick's place. And I was like, (laughs) I didn't say anything. And so. free life. Which we find out like in the next scene. Yeah. Pretty much immediately. Oh yeah. He's at my place. Yeah. So in my head, the way this went or my speculation on how it went in Nick's head was, hmm, David's a very pretty man. He should stay at my place. Yeah, that'd be fine. I can I can make this work. He can yeah. use the satin fuck sheets. It's perfectly yeah. <laughs> fine. Uh, and he actually goes to talk to Constantine, great granddaddy Constantine, about like, hey, um, dude, you got to let him go. He doesn't want you. He doesn't want this life. And if you were a real father, you would sacrifice anything to make him feel happy. Oh, no. He tells that to Skanky. Doesn't he tell that to Skanky? Uh, not quite yet. Not quite it's, yet. They're back at the station after he talks to Elder Constantine. Yeah. He's like, Skanky, this is what a father is. He's like, you still filling out that questionnaire? Because I got the line for you. <laughs> and he gives him the line. Oh, she took that well, I thought. You still have your gun and your badge, don't you? You know, she is right. He's not safe out there. He wouldn't be any safer in here. Are you still doing that questionnaire on fatherhood? Shh. Yeah, why? A father is someone who will sacrifice everything to give his child a better life than he had. That is great. A father is someone who will... Now, what's the rest of it? Sacrifice anything. Nick, what's... And then Skanky's like, great, great, Nick. Wait, can you repeat the last bit? I didn't... But Nick's already gone. Yeah, but Nick's already gone. And he goes to talk to Natalie. Because Natalie needed another scene in this episode. Was, uh, was there anything that Elder Constantine said to Nick 
that was noteworthy. He's kind of like, oh, you haven't aged a day. You know, for us, the age, you know. I, yeah. This is my version of immortality. He's like, you get to be young sure this, forever. This gets down. Yeah, I get to be immortal by making sure my family stays alive. You're just immortal. I don't get that luxury. And Nick's like, well, if you were a real dad, you would give it up. You'd give it up so he could be happy. You wouldn't try to force him into doing this. And of course, as usual, he's a little bit talking about David, but he's also a little bit talking about Nick. Uh, but he goes and talks to Natalie. And I love this scene, too, because he's kind of hashing it out with Natalie. And she's like, well, we know he's not going to be safe anywhere. So, like, where could where, where could he possibly be? And Nick's like, oh, he's safe. He's, he's fine. And Natalie's like, Nick, where is David? And he's like, well, I kind of I took him to my house. <laughs> she's like... <laughs> Trying to salt Thomas Constantine's tail ever since I was an intern. Well, getting David killed isn't going to help. No, and you did what you thought was right. You cut him loose. Well, not exactly. What do you mean, not exact? Where is he? My place. Nick, you're a cop. You can't get involved in... Okay, all right, all right. Why? Because I know how powerful his family is. Captain's right. He's not going to get away without some help. It's dangerous. It's not that easy. Even when they're trying to kill you, they're still your family. Youch. That sounds like an epitaph. Was it really that hard for you? Leaving them? Parts of it. <laughs> She's like... Okay. She does the... I have done this look. The like, I have a lot of emotions right now. But me lashing out at you about what I think is a very, very stupid decision is not helpful. So let me just take a moment. And she goes, okay. Okay. Why is he at your place, Nicholas? <laughs> and he's like, well, you know, because he'll, be, he'll be safe there. Like, everybody else has been safe there when they come to my place. Like, nobody has. I got the skylight fixed. I got the skylight fixed from the last time I took home a mob witness and the mob tried to break in and kill her. I got it fixed. It's fine. It's perfectly fine. And then we actually get a little bit of LaCroix again. And this is when we get one of our fa my favorite lines from him. Mm -hmm. And it's, even when they're trying to kill you, there's still family. Well, Nick says that. Yes. Nick says that. He's like, you know, even when they're trying to kill you, there's still family. And you can just imagine Natalie's look of horror. What? Are, are you okay? That's not true. My God. No wonder you want to be human. But then we get our flashback and we get Jeanette. And we've seen Jeanette, but we haven't gotten like, you know what? They had not spent any money on Jeanette's costume budget in the last it's like they have to save it time. up we have to get yeah. like two or three episodes with almost no Jeanette yeah so and then that they can, like they can build up the the costume budget yeah so then they can say okay now we're gonna have an episode worthy of Jeanette yeah wardrobe wise right because we get some we get some good ones in this episode four we have four different outfits because she's wearing like a flapper outfit in this one and this is when he comes back and she's like did lacroix find you he was super pissed and he's like yeah he found me and it went exactly like you think it would and Jeanette's like okay well here's this really conveniently large box that i have over here in the corner hop in it i'm gonna call my friend constantine i'll have you out of here in an hour and he's, he's like he knows about us he helps us relocate yeah yeah it, it's cool i got i got you 
Yeah. But she flips on him fast. I know. Well, we don't, shows up. we don't get that yet. But right now, it really feels like a solidarity thing. Like, Jeanette, Jeanette is in the middle, right? She's mm-hmm. in the middle of this perpetual conflict. She has no problems with Nick. She really just kind of accepts him for who he is. She's not amazed. She's not in love with his lifestyle, but it's okay. She's not mad about it. And she likes LaCroix, and she likes having fun with LaCroix. Right. I think personality-wise, LaCroix and Jeanette are very similar. Yeah. In their the, their desires, their uh, moral alignments. Yeah. Their moral alignments, their, yes. Like, their self-talk is very similar. Yeah. And so LaCroix has a lot more control. Yeah. Know, um, influence. LaCroix has a lot more influence, like, deep into Jeanette's psyche. Yeah, well, I think Jeanette is, like, conflict-averse. She's spent so much time watching the conflict between Nick and LaCroix. She just doesn't want conflict. She doesn't want Nick to get hurt, but she also doesn't want LaCroix to be mad. Right. Because she has to live with LaCroix. She's in this really weird in-between place between the two of them. And we go back to the present because that all happens in the past. We go back to the present and Nick is trying to persuade the wife. Like he's got David squared away. He's safe. And now he's got to get the wife on board with leaving. Because right. he's going to get David out, but David doesn't want to leave if his family's not going to go. Because the whole point of this was to get his family out so his son didn't have to go through the same stuff that he's going through. He doesn't want his son hunted like a madman over all around town and end up having to shelter in some dude's weird loft apartment. He's amazingly trusting of Nick. For Nick, to, Nick is like, well, I'm a cop. And he's like, oh, thank God you're a cop. Yeah, like the Constantine family doesn't own half of the department. Yeah, I mean, okay. But at first the wife is very in, very much in the Constantine. She's like, no, the family takes care of us. You know, Don Constantine takes care of us. I I don't want to leave. You know, I'm all about the family. And Nick is like, okay, so is it family if they try to kill you? And she's like... Uh, I don't know, but the, the most notable part before he goes is, is the attack on Nick's apartment before or after he talks to, I think he talks to the wife twice. All I really remember is the decorative fish. I'm I'm going to be honest with you. Yes. Is we're at like a dining room table, which I'm almost certain is a glass dining room table. And there is a decorative fish. Yeah. Like almost a foot tall. Yes. Like 18 inches (laughs) long. It's a very big fish. And I was like. Is that a decorative fish? And we had to rewind it and see the decorative fish. Because after this is when Nick is at his house with David. And he's like, look, I don't know if your wife's going to want to go or not. Like, you gotta, you might have to just leave her and, like, get her later. And he's like, I'm not going to go. Like, I need my wife to come with me. And um, Nick is like, I don't know if she's going to come. And then they hear the doorbell ring. And this is when he goes no, over. they hear a knock. Oh, they hear a knock. And yeah. David's like, wait. <sighs> I thought she was going to take the elevator. I thought she was going to have to ring the bell yeah. to get up. And Nick's kind of like, yeah. And why did it? Why did the noise come from the staircase and not the Because uh, you know he doesn't have a lock elevator. on the staircase. He only has a code on the elevator, the quote elevator, yes. So he goes over and opens the door. And I have to say, he handles this a lot better than the last time. He has acquired some chill along with all of his vests mm-hmm. because he gets shot a lot. Which means R.I.P. this vest. A whole bunch. This vest. Yeah. Not 
don't worry, the vests aren't going anywhere, but this vest is. And he gets shot a whole bunch, and he does like a grab the guy, spin around, almost exclusively, so that David can see his face when he's all vamped out, and then turn back and like throw the guy down the stairwell. They didn't kill anybody, because they immediately go back to Don Constantine, and they're like, Fucking strong guy. Yeah, he's a, he's a big fucking dude. Like that didn't that was that one didn't go how I thought it was gonna go. Um, but at least he doesn't growl at David or anything. When he turns around, his face is back to Nick, and David's like, "Oh yeah, oh yeah." My grandfather told Grandpappy me. Grandpappy told me about yeah, something like that. He told me there was people like you out there, and he's like, "Yeah, you know, a lot of his deals can't face the light of day. I can't face the light of day. We overlap." And I love that they're talking. I actually like this scene because his apartment got pretty shot up. So they shot up yeah. his blinds. So there's these like shafts of sunlight coming in through the blinds. And he's fixing them. Um, David is fixing them with duct pieces tape. of duct tape. And they're having this conversation and Nick's kind of reclining on his mantelpiece. Um, but he realizes that David may be not safe here. So he takes him to the second most safe place he can possibly imagine. The Raven. The Raven? Oh, no. No, no, get it out You can't just keep dragging people in here every time you don't know what else to do. Go get yourself a drink. Relax. It's just until I can set up his disappearance. He won't be staying long. He's not staying at all. I have to do business in this. And I love Jeanette. She's like, no, no, uh-uh. no, no way. No, you got to go. And Nick is like, come on, baby, just this one time. And she's like, oh, my God, not again. <laughs> she just goes with it because what is she going to do? She can't. He literally is just like, I hear you saying no, but we're here. He's going to stay here. I'll be back for him. Don't worry about it. And she's wearing her like velour dress, the one that she was wearing in Bad Blood. Yeah. And in... um. She was wearing it in Bad Blood, and I think she wears it in um, A Fate Worse Than Death, too. But she has, like, her mini Death Cloud hairstyle and this, like, yep. floor-length red velour dress that she wears. And Nick is like, um, yeah, he's going to stay here. I, I hear you trying to voice an opinion, but I'll be back for him. Don't don't worry about it. It's going gonna to be cool. He's just going to hang out here for he's a like, little David, while. He's like, David, go get a drink. Like, David, go have a good time. Dance with some ladies. I'll be back. And then we go back into a flashback. And it's because uh, Nick literally has pulled another string. So he pulls the string to get Skanky to talk to Cohen about the fact that Constantine's missing. And then he gets Jeanette to keep David because he's like, hey, you remember that one time that I tried to flee for my life and you told LaCroix where I was going? Remember that that one, Jeanette? Because we go back and it's it's Nick. It's not Nick because Nick is gone. Nick's been shipped off. But it's Jeanette and LaCroix. And LaCroix like, where is he, Jeanette? Where did he go? And Jeanette's like, oh, he's been such a bother lately. Maybe we should get a new one. <laughs> <laughs> I thought this, this justifies the LaCroix's obsession with Nick so much better than anything else yeah. by framing it as this like child like yeah this fixation yeah this very petulant very petty i don't want a new one i want that one i like that one i liked that one and i want it back we can get a new one 
I don't want a new one. I like that one. And so Jeanette's like, fine, I shipped him to Constantine. And she's got this cool dress on. Is this the one with the red velvet, like, drape dress that she's wearing? Yeah, it is. Because she's wearing velour in the present and she's wearing velvet in the past. Because she's got this, Is it the flapper dress? The flapper dress is the first time we talked about it. This one, she's wearing like this. It's, like, uh, only secured at the shoulders. And it's this, like, long, drapey velvet dress. Just really beautiful. But... Um, yeah, he's cashing in some guilt debt all over the place. And he has also, I should note, put on a backup vest. Thank God he had he another. He changed his vest after Ooh. he got shot up. Ooh. He had another khaki He's made vest. this mistake before where yeah. he got shot and he kept wearing the purple jacket. Yeah. But he learned his lesson from that. Right. So he changed his vest. Right. And I think this might actually be the part where Nick goes to talk to Don Constantine because um, in this scene, all I could see was the extremely vaginal fireplace behind Nick's head. It's just like a, I don't know. It's, I just, I could, it was distracting. Okay. Cause he's like yelling at him basically. And Don is like, well, it doesn't really matter what he wants. I don't care what he wants. He's my only choice. Who am I supposed to who am I supposed to turn this over to? What am I supposed to do? Right. Like when I lost my sons, I thought I couldn't last another 25 years waiting for my grandsons to grow up. Yeah. And then both my grandsons died and I had to do another 25 years waiting for David to grow up. Yeah. I can't do another 25 years. Like right. at this point if it's the twenties when Nick comes to um, comes to Constantine from Paris, right? Then it's been fifty years, or I, I guess he he would have waited like twenty years for his sons to grow up. It's been a long time. It's been a long time. Yeah. He's like in his nineties right. at this point, is what I'm trying to get at. Right, and Nick's like, well, sorry, but he doesn't want to be it. And uh, I can tell you from experience, no matter how hard you try to force him, he's never going to want to do it. And he's going to look for every chance to get out of it. Right. Like, you're going to make him do this, but he doesn't want to do it. What do you think is going to happen when you're gone? Right. Right. Uh, So Don Constantine goes to see LaCroix because he's like, fine, you're not the only one who can call in in a favor. And he comes in and he's like, LaCroix, you look the same. I love LaCroix's oh, yeah. response. LaCroix's on the, on the radio yeah, and he's monologuing like, and here he's like, comes well, you, Constantine. He's like, well, you look like shit. Time's a bitch, isn't it? <laughs> and he's like, okay, I'm, gonna, I'm cashing in my favor. Because then we go back to the flashback and we see dapper as fuck LaCroix sitting on this The same desk. office that yeah. Nick got let out of the box in. Yeah. And he's like, look, I know Nick came through here and either you helped him leave because you've got his watch, and I gave it to him, and I expected him to keep that forever. And that, the fact that you have it either means he gave it to you or you killed him. And let me tell you, I'm not going to be real, real happy if you killed him. And I, the most notable part about this flashback for me is, you know, because it's the 90s and we're working in a square filming format, mm-hmm. in order to get kind of more motion and really more 
real estate on the screen, we often film at like a slightly off parallel angle. So the the filming is always on a diagonal almost where the camera is right, tilted when you need, slightly. When you need two people close together in the frame. Yeah, you really have to kind of angle the camera in order just to get the real estate that you needed to get what felt like a wide shot while you're working at a square format. Yeah. And when LaCroix stands up from the desk, they shift the angle completely. So we go from like a 30 degree angle to a negative 30 degree angle. Mm -hmm. We like tilt it. And it's so like, what just happened in the middle of the, and it happens when he stands up. Right. So it ends up feeling like we're completely changing our perspective on the scene when he stands up. Well, because, and I think part of it may be like a visual metaphor yeah. for the power dynamic in this conversation just shift. shifted. Yeah. I think that's absolutely what they're getting at. The, yeah. the, the life the way that Don Constantine viewed life shifted a little bit. Because right, because Don's in, in the position of power at the beginning when LaCroix is sitting down. Right. And then LaCroix stands up and LaCroix's like, you thought yeah. <laughs> you were the most dangerous thing in the room. Yeah. But you're wrong. You're wrong. LaCroix is always the most dangerous thing in the room. But then we go back to the present and LaCroix's like, okay, Welcome. And you know what I think is funny about this scene? There's a CERK coffee cup on the desk in front of LaCroix. What's in the coffee cup? Or is it just there? Does he just share that desk? It's like a white, yeah. like a promotional looking cup with CERK radio on it. Oh, no, I just thought that okay, was Okay, really I didn't notice the cup. I saw it was on like the yeah, soundboard. Yeah, it's on the soundboard too. And he's like, okay, you're calling in your favor. What would you like? But just remember... I do tend to take things literally. So if you ask me to hunt him down to kill him, I'm going to do it. And this is the part where Nick is talking to his wife at David's house and there's the decorative fish. And I think what's getting us mixed up is there is just a lot of like small vignettes, conversational vignettes throughout this entire episode. It's like Nick talking to Skanky, Skanky talking to somebody else. And then Nick talking to Natalie, Nick talking to... The wife, Nick so talking my, to... So my thoughts on why there's so many scene shifts yeah. is, one, Nick has to keep moving to a lot of different places. Yeah. And those transitions provide a lot of openings for Nick to be driving alone, yeah. listening to the Nightcrawler. Yes, absolutely. But we just have a lot of... I mean, we are on the move this whole episode. Nick is... And Skanky disappears halfway through the episode because of, he's working on Sunday for the vast majority of it, yeah. which we established because Natalie comes in and she's like, oh, where's Skanky? I, you know, Cohen's looking for him. And Nick's like, oh, it's Sunday and I'm covering for him. I am him. I am him today. And Natalie's like, oh, well, nobody's covering for me and I have a hungry cat at home. And so she goes to leave. So that's Bye. our that's our timestamp. This is why Skanky's not here yeah. because it's Sunday now. And... We just do so much. And I think that's why we keep getting like, is this when there was the decorative fish or was that before? Is that when he talked to Don Constantine? Because I feel like, and not only that, but the present and the past mirror each other so closely. We've right. got Nick talking to Constantine in the past, Nick talking to Constantine in the present, LaCroix talking to Constantine in the past, LaCroix talking to present Constantine, Jeanette and Nick in the past. Jeanette, It's a lot of, it's a almost one-to-one. 
Right. And so it ends up kind of making the whole episode feel, it actually feels fairly cohesive, I think, because we're not getting what feels like a, a, a unrelated flashback. Right. It right. They, feels they kind directly of related. Each other. Yeah. We're, we're working through the past as we're working through the present all at the same time. And it works really well. I think that's why this episode feels really cohesive, felt very engaging and felt very, very entertaining. In fact, it was so good. My daughter sat down and watched it with us and we got done. She goes, can we watch another episode of Forever Night? And Matt goes, the indoctrination has begun. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. But this is when he confronts her about the fact that, um, how did they know that David was at my apartment? Karen, her name is Karen, which the subtitle spelled K-A-R-I-N. So she okay. has a weird spelling of, a different spelling of Karen. So, but this is Karen, literally. It's a Karen. She's like, um, I just told him where he was so they could go pick him up and bring him back. And he's like, no, like they tried to kill me. They, I'm the, sending you a bill for my vest, okay? Right, because they, they shot they me. They broke into my apartment and then they just opened up with automatic guns. Yeah. And me and your husband were there. Yeah. And they didn't care. No, like they were actively. They were to there to kill out. us. Yeah. So at this point, lady, you got to choose Constantine's family or your own. What you going to do? And we leave it a little ambiguous. Yeah. Yeah. And then yeah. we find we go back to the past again because it's when Lacroix and Jeanette find Nicholas in Los Angeles, and he's like coming down the stairs and he sees Lacroix and he's like, "Fuck." And he looks at Jeanette, and Jeanette's like, sorry, sorry, <laughs> <laughs> so sorry. But, of course, she's turned it out. She's wearing, like, a fur coat and a fur hat, and mm -hmm. she just looks lovely. And so maybe she was trying to bribe him with, like, isn't it nice to see me? <laughs> and this is Soften when, the blow a little bit. Yeah, and this is when um, LaCroix's like, Nick, you didn't really think you were going to get away. And Nick's like, I kind of fucking did. I hope to have at least like a decade before you found me, at least. At least. And then we go back to the present because Nick has walked into the station and LaCroix is there too. And that's what I mean. At like, his desk. It's a very mirrored one-to-one -one thing because yeah. LaCroix is literally just sitting at his desk in the precinct. Both of these narratives, narrative threads, are tied together by LaCroix just being LaCroix. Yeah. Yeah. And this is when he picks up Skanky's questionnaire and he's like, what is a father? Hmm. What does our friend Skanky say? And he's like, a father provides love, discipline, guidance, protection, support. And Nick goes, he left out freedom. And LaCroix says, so, so would I. I. <laughs> what do you want? Do I have to want anything? Let's talk about families, Nicholas. That seems to be what's on everyone's mind. What is a father? A father is the man who made you what you are. And like it or not, Nicholas, I am the only father that you've got. And as a father, I must say I'm very disappointed in you. Sticking your nose in where it's not wanted. Constantine came to you. It's a matter of an old debt. I want you to stay out of this. I think a child owes his father that much courtesy. And what about what a father owes his child? It works both ways, you know. Let's see what your friend Skanky has to say about that, shall we? A father... 
provides love, discipline, guidance, protection, and support. That's not bad. You left that freedom. So would I. Well, let's stop eating. <laughs> I fucking love LaCroix. I'm, I'm, this is like my favorite Wait, version La, of LaCroix. LaCroix knows Nick so well yeah. that he can anticipate like Nick's critique of what he just said. Yeah. And have a you know a witty Yeah, he's ready. ready. Yeah. A witty repost. Yes. He's just like fired right back. Yeah, so would I. So Freedom's when, overrated. <laughs> earlier when Nick Nick's like all fired up because he talked to uh Elder Constantine yeah. and uh he's like I couldn't I couldn't convince him to let his great grandson go, and he's like, "Skanky, you want to know what a father is? Here, it's you know someone who would like sacrifice sac sacrifice anything, for their anything to make life. sure yeah. that they had a better life than them." And that's and so when Skanky's like, this. "It was so we we know." Okay, Nick has a very clear idea of what a father is. Yeah, and I thought, I also am. Uh, perceive myself to be a better father than my father was. And I thought, okay, maybe Nick and I both have a clear idea of what a father should be because we're familiar with the shape of the whole. Yes. Of what we lacked <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> growing up. <laughs> and so Nick had this father figure. Yeah. But there's this lack of what he needed as a father figure. Yeah. And so he's like, that's what I wanted right. my father to be. Right. Or like, in this case, LaCroix. Um, but I didn't get it. Right. So I'm going to make sure that I am that kind of person. Right. Yes. And, this and then LaCroix comes in and he's like, no, here's what a father does. Yeah. And he's like, and like it or not, I'm the closest thing you've got to a dad. And I think of myself as your father, and I have to say, you're pretty much a disappointment. <laughs> and he's like, if you're hiding David, I will find him. And if you don't give him up, I will kill you, and then I will find him. And we both know who's going to win if it comes down to you and me duking it out. And Nick is like, listen, why don't you do for David what you would never do for me and just let him go? Why don't you just let him go? And Lacroix like, yeah, okay, I, I, I don't know. He just he doesn't really respond, but he ends up saying like, made him think a little bit. Made him think a little bit because then he's talking to Don Constantine, and he's like, listen. But Constantine's like, is it done? Yeah, is it done? Are you going to find him? And he's like, Constantine. And if I told you it was, he's like, you know what? Children always make it all about themselves. They never ask, what about us? Don't you think it's selfish uh, to not think about the cost of what it means to be a father? How come I'm so unappreciated? I am <laughs> such an amazing dad. Look at all the things that I have done for him and you have done for David. And then look what they just throw it back in our faces. But do you really want him killed? He's like, what do you, what do what you, do you want? want? Like, what do you, what is our end goal here? And so we're left with that. Yeah. What, what are you trying to achieve? Because if you kill him, you achieve nothing. And at this point, the only way you're going to get him back is if you kill him, trust me. 
I have experience in this. And then we go to David and Nick at like a the port. They're getting ready to flee. Um, they're waiting for his family to show up. David's like, I can't, I can't leave if it's not if you know if Karen doesn't come. But right, then if, Karen shows up, and we have yeah. this brief He's moment like, of like joy. We're all reunion. together. And then the Rolls Royce pulls up. Oh no! And Constantine gets out, and, and Lacroix gets, gets out, out kind of awkwardly. Yeah. Like, he kind of awkwardly gets out of the car. I think he was probably very cramped in that car. Yeah. And then he like kind of walks too close to the car and almost clips the front corner with his leg. So he's like stepping well, around anyway. we're supposed to be looking at Constantine at this point. Yeah. And David and Lacroix, after they arrive, David is talking to the, the Don Constantine because Constantine's like, listen, I've buried enough sons for a lifetime. I don't want this to end like this. I, did, I wanted you to take over the family, but I get it. You just, this is actually a really hopeful ending. So in my head, the reason Lacroix was so like awkward in his movement is because he's so unfamiliar with this scenario. Yes. Where he did a good thing. He's like, I did a good deed. I feel a because, little dirty. <laughs> because Nick asked him to. Yeah. And so he's like, okay. I don't know how to feel about this. Like, uh, I Nick Nick asked me to like help out a little bit and like think about things from his perspective or whatever yeah. that means. Uh, and so he's just got this whole narrative going in his yeah, head. Yeah, it's a he, little uh, cognitive dissonance yes. from Lacroix's point of view because he did it, it. It served the end goal, but it wasn't the most ruthless way of going about it. Like, who really learned a lesson here? Nobody. Nobody learned. Lesson from this whole thing. <laughs> <Lacroix> kind of did. <laughs> he kind of he he figured out a loophole basically yeah. to make it so that Nick got what he wanted, and Constantine it's got a win, what win, he wanted. Win, and, win. Yeah, everybody won in the end, kind of. And I think except that Lacroix, turned... probably, Lacroix must have justified it to himself as okay, this will keep me closer to Nicola. Yeah, so I can. Yeah, he'll be more receptive to me. Right. I'm, I'm going to throw him a fucking bone here. That's what yeah. he did. Because, of course, Lacroix turned Constantine into a vampire. So now yeah. Constantine doesn't have to worry about who's going to take over the business when he dies. Right. Because he's not going <laughs> to die. Which I expected Nick to like look at Constantine and realize, oh, no. Shit. It's a vamp. He's turned him into a vampire. But Nick doesn't notice right away. He no. doesn't know until Lacroix's like... Personally, Does I it, think he's never looked he, better. <laughs> he could live another hundred years. And Nick's like, oh, no, you did it. Uh, uh. But, yeah, and that's basically where it ends. The only person who lost here, uh, I guess, two people lost in this whole narrative. Jimmy or yeah. Johnny. Johnny. Because uh, he died. Yeah. And Cohen. Yeah, because Cohen doesn't get the Constantines. Because uh, she doesn't, he, she actually yells at Nick for not bringing David in. She's like, "Why didn't you bring him in?" And you he's had like, him. He's like, "Why? He didn't want to come in. There were no outstanding warrants. There was no reason for me to arrest him. He's not wanted for anything. I literally had no legitimate reason to force him to come in." And Cohen's like, "Thanks for the legal lesson, legal legal. Like I don't give a shit. I wanted you to bring David in." And Nick's like, mm, "Sorry, I didn't do it." He just wants to leave, Cohen. And Cohen's like, I don't give a shit if he wants to leave. I want to bring down the family. 
I have a mission here. This is what I want to happen. But this means that if Don Constantine ever gets caught and imprisoned, they're going to have a... He literally made the Constantine family uh, basically invincible because you can't catch Constantine now. He's just going to hypnotize his way out of every arrest situation. Right. I have this vision of like... Him turning like his lieutenants into vampires. Yeah, this this is actually a larger problem than it at first seems. I don't know. Just... Which Lacroix was involved. That's so... tomorrow Nick's problem. Present Nick is just excited for the fact that David gets to leave and live his own life, and he's going to L.A. Don Constantine's like, I'm sending you to L.A. I've heard it's a great place to start over. They need help to rebuild. Okay, so we had no idea what was going on here. So I thought it might have been this. We looked yeah. it up. The 1992 Los Angeles riots, also called the Rodney King riots, the 1992 Los Angeles uprising, or Saigu in Korean. Yeah. And unrest began in April after a jury acquitted four police officers. Oh, police brutality. Yeah. And the beating of Rodney King. Yeah. And it was, it was um, recorded on video. Yeah. And then the video got out. Um, mm, sounds familiar. Mm. Mm. Yes, this, uh, this is a pattern in America. Yeah. So there was a lot of property damage from those riots. So that's probably what he's referencing. Yeah, that they need help to rebuild. I was like, what? In my mind, immediately, headcanon became, this is a post-apocalyptic world where Toronto is the last bastion of civilization, <laughs> and that's why there's so many vampires in Toronto, because they're all gathering there. Right. And, but this would have aired in 94, <laughs> and it would have been very, um, yeah, yeah, still in yeah, everybody's yeah. mind. I'm sorry. I like my interpretation better. <laughs> this is a post-apocalyptic world. Which is why Nick left Chicago yeah. to go to Toronto. Yeah, because America has fallen. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and Canada's like the last place where you can like go and have civilization. And that's why everybody's there. That's why Lacroix's there. That's why there's so many vampires in Toronto. Mm. Mm -hmm. But then we end up at the station because we have to have our little bit of wrap up. And it's Skinky coming back, but Skinky arriving late. And Nick is like, mm -mm -mm, I haven't learned any kind of a lesson. And he's like, oh, where's my questionnaire? Because, of course, Lacroix took his questionnaire. And then he ends up quoting Shakespeare on the Nightcrawler. And I think it's Hamlet. I think he's quoting Hamlet. Yes. Yeah. And so while Nick is Nick is driving in the car, listening, and yeah. Lacroix starts quoting some Shakespeare. Right. And then... Which it turns out is also Nick's love language because he just goes straight to the radio station and he's like uh, you're not forgiven we aren't best friends or anything I'm not coming back I'm not coming back but thank you for finding a way around that and he gives him back the watch that the he watch had paid with at the beginning to, yeah, yeah, that he was supposed to hold on to until he died right and then Lacroix ends with if you love someone let them go and they'll learn their lessons and come back. And I can wait because I have all the time in the world. I know you'll come back. And Nicola. I know you'll come back. Happy Father's Day. I'm 
not coming back to you. I just want to say thank you. They say if you love someone, let them go. If they're really yours, they will learn their lessons and return. You will come back, Nicholas. I can wait. I have all the time in the world. And that's the end of it. That episode so much. I think because we get so much Lacroix in it, and we really get Lacroix. I love a good bromance. I am a mm-hmm. sucker. For, I like romance just fine. Obviously, I have an entire separate stream where we read romance novels and talk about them. But there is nothing like a good best friend story arc, especially like an enemies to best friends story arc. Well, there's a. All right, so I think the the Nick Lacroix dynamic works so well because it is kind of like a mythological trope. There's yeah. this, I don't know, archetype. There's a mythological story pattern of the mm. like dark brother or hostile twin or whatever. Yeah, and they're always at odds with with each other. But they have this deep connection, so they never get too far apart. They're right. always – the other is always so important to them that, that if they were like, ah, you don't even matter to me, I'll just go off and do my yeah. own thing, and you won't even be a consideration in my day-to-day life. But they're both so important to each other. Yeah, I don't want another one. I want that one. Right. Yeah. And even Nick is partly because of the trauma <laughs> – is still like <laughs> preoccupied with Lacroix. Lacroix yeah. always is living in his head rent free. Right. And so they're tied together so deeply and they're fairly antagonistic to each other, but neither of them can really get to the point where they would destroy the other. Right. So they're in this like eternal battle. Push and pull relationship. Push and pull relationship yeah. with each other. And so it's, executed so well in this show and anytime you have like this a mythological story pattern yeah it's gonna work right because it's it's uh you know just part of human nature that this is how certain kinds of people will interact right regardless of the time frame or the society or anything right it's a story archetype that's been honed over millennia to right. be attractive and interesting and engaging. Right. And yeah. uh, mythological stories are are so um, – they resonate so much because they're about the um, – John Verveke calls it the perennial problems. Yeah. Which is just the problems that humans face no matter where or when or who. Right. You're going to face these kinds of problems just because of human nature. Yes. And so these stories survive because they have valuable lessons in them. Right. Yeah. And this was like such a deep dive on the, the like hostile dark brother dynamic between yeah. Nick I, and Lacroix. Yeah, I honestly don't think this show works without Lacroix. 
No. I think even in season one, when Lacroix is quote unquote deceased, um, he's in so many of the flashbacks. Right. He, I think he's, he's in still pretty a, much every episode. He's still a present character. Yeah. And even when he's not in an episode, well, the episodes that he's not in work, but they aren't the lightning in a bottle that we get when we see him or hear him or mm-hmm. have him in a flashback. And I think part of what makes the first season work is the Jeanette play, like having the the interplay with Jeanette kind of acts as his like dark other, right? his more liberated vampire side. And then we kind of take that up a notch in season two by introducing LaCroix back as a present time character. And we make him far less one note villain and far more jaded father who thought he did something good for his son and will accept no criticism from his son about how he feels about it. He's like, it was an amazing gift. I just need to get you to realize that. Right. And the characters can't be, and if you make one dimensional characters, they're not going to stand up. Yeah. They just don't. They're like paper. They just blow away. Right. You You need some depth. Yeah. To have a, you know, a tripod. Right. And I definitely know parents who are waiting for their child to get old enough. Like if I just hit a certain age, it's all going to resolve itself and we're going to be better. Everything's going to be They'll learn fine. it all on their own. They'll, they'll just figure it all out. Except this is a very extended version of that. If I can literally just keep up the pressure long enough, eventually he's going to come back to me and we're going to be able to be the like... The, the family that I've been envisioning yeah, the family for that I wanted. The, he'll, centuries. He'll be the dutiful, devoted son that I can mold in my image that I have wanted. And I honestly think if Nicholas had been receptive to LaCroix for longer, if he had been moldable in the way that LaCroix wanted him to be moldable, LaCroix would have gotten bored and left him go- let him go centuries ago. I think the appeal for him... Is, is the is, challenge. Is the challenge. Right. And the the mythological aspect of these two opposing, like, deeply connected characters is that they, they complement each other. Right. They each can see things and think about things in ways that the other can't. Yeah. And by them constantly butting heads, they're exposing a little more of the unseen reality yeah. to each other. Right. Which... That's how you grow. Right. You can't grow by yes. exploring the space that you already are familiar with. Yeah. You have to be exposed sometimes violently to the unknown. Yeah. Because that you know what what you most need is going to be found in the place that you're least willing to look. Right. And I think Lacroix is smart enough to know that Nicholas is what keeps him from being stagnant. Yes. Because they they each keep each, even if they keep up this dynamic for another thousand years, LaCroix will still be engaged. Yeah. Because at their core, they are completely different people. Right. And LaCroix is never going to be able to fully, you know, corrupt, infect, and convert Nick to be a mirror of himself. Any victory will be a temporary victory. Nick is never going to fully redeem LaCroix. Right. But that's that's what makes it work. That's what right. makes it interesting. And I think yeah. that's what makes it interesting to LaCroix, too. Yes. 
I'm not sure that Nick is super excited about being LaCroix's like um, cattle prod through the through eternity, but he, here we are, right? And I I think I definitely think that the appeal for LaCroix is the conflict because we know he turns other vampires. I feel like he turns or has turned a vampire in just about every episode we've seen him in. And they in no way have the same relationship with him. Right. Sometimes he forgets he did it. He's like, did I change that guy? I think oh, I yeah. Did. I think. I, just, I thought that'd be funny and I'd come uh, yeah, back and check yes, on that in a yes, while. Yes, you are right. Yes, I think I did turn somebody um, as opposed to the obsession that he has with Nick. And I, I really like that. I feel like if he had spread that out, if he had been equally obsessed with everyone that he turned, I wouldn't care as much about this relationship. But it makes me curious about what the appeal is. And I think it's because LaCroix likes Nick and he wants Nick to like him. Right. He he sees how idealistic Nick is and yeah. how I don't know, discerning Nick is in who he attaches himself to. And he wants the approval of this highly discerning moral person. Yeah. To be accepting of LaCroix. Yeah. And LaCroix wants to earn that. Except yeah. he's trying to earn it by, like, undermining Nick yes. at every turn. He yeah. wants... It's a very maladaptive way to try to yes. earn. It's like, yes. I'm going to... I'm going to, like, earn your affection by... Subverting your expectation. Sub by like undermining your morals to the point that your your moral bar yeah. drops below me right and then suddenly i fit into like your approval right. group yeah that's what we saw in undue process where he he poked the citizen group into you know he killed a woman let nick take the blame for it actually encouraged nick to take the blame for it mm -hmm. and then watched as he murdered all of the people that had tried to kill him and then he's like see nick we're not that different we can be friends you want to go get a drink and nick's like god damn it laquad <laughs> 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 it's really laquad trying to be like it's that's why I don't think I like the flashbacks where LaCroix doesn't feel as, it doesn't feel like he's attempting a connection. It just feels like he's punishing Nicholas. Like the right. flashback in Faithful Followers where it's really just about like, well, how easily manipulated is Nick? Can somebody else manipulate him like I manipulate him? Or is it really a victory that I have continuously been able to fuck with him for like centuries and centuries? And it really just turns into like a, ha ha, I want to bet. Well, I'm not interested in that LaCroix. I'm not interested. That that to me doesn't feel like the same level of nuance that we get in this episode where he's like, okay, I have to fulfill an obligation, but I also want to kind of get on Nick's good side. I think I can do a little bit of both. I think I can turn this guy into a vampire. Nick will be happy. Right, and through the challenge of wanting to kind of exceed Nick's expectations of him. Yeah. He has to do something that he's uncomfortable with. Right. Which is 
solving a problem without killing somebody. Well, technically, he still got to kill Don Constantine. Well, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but he... Creative problem solving. He has to you know, grow himself yeah. into this area that he's not familiar with or comfortable with. Right. Which that establishes like, I don't know, the this mythological dynamic between them. Yeah, very much so. All right. Well, I haven't said it in a while, but we are on Instagram. Did you miss it? Did you miss it? Yeah. We're on Instagram as Strange and Beautiful Network. And now that we have different streams for our different things, um, it's a good place to go to keep up with all that we're doing because I don't have different, I don't have different Instagrams. I just put everything on, on the Strange and Beautiful Network because it's just me. Um, unless you guys want to go join Patreon and then I can hire somebody to be our media coordinator, in which case I'm sure the quality will go up. It can't get worse. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing my best over here because like they just introduced threads and I looked at it and was immediately overwhelmed. Like I'm supposed to keep up with all of this. Look at all that text. What are people talking about? What? what ah! So I'm on threads, but I don't know how long I'm going to be on threads. It was more of like a, I wanted Instagram to quit bugging me about it. Mm -hmm. um, but our website is up and working. I have the submission form on there. You can find all of our podcasts. I am so close to merch. We are like a week away from merch. I just need the place that I put the merchandise up to finish vetting our shop. Probably by I'll the time this episode comes out. Oh, because it's coming out tomorrow. I don't know. But we'll find out. We'll find out. Um, it's soon. It's so soon. And when I have it, I'm going to post a link on Instagram. So that's a good place to go. Also, our year, our monthly book club, our first monthly book club episode will be this month, the last Tuesday of the month, and we're reading Babel in Arcane History. By R.F. Quang. By R.F. Quang. And we will be talking about that and posting that episode on Tuesday, the last Tuesday of the month. Um, but if you want to talk with us about it throughout the month, uh, you just have to join the minimum $5 patron tier. So... I'm just saying, we've got a Patreon. If you like what you're listening to, I please go support us. We actually have a, the dollar tier, which is the lowest you can have. Um, it doesn't get you anything except our undying gratitude. But well, you get the Patreon exclusive content. Yes, you do get access to the page, which we we just had a patron watch party where we watched Demon Under Glass, which is a low, 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 low budget vampire <laughs> movie. I think the we, lowest of lows. The lowest of lows. It was like $2.99 to buy it. And so I'm pretty sure someone somewhere in the world got like a 10 cent royalty check this month. So you're welcome. You're welcome. 10 cent royalty check person who got the 10 cents. Our gift to you. Our gift to you for the two hours of enjoyment that we got out of this. I don't even know what. I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Our, the one the patron who joined us was like, what did I just watch? She's like, you're so welcome. Um, if you ever want to know how vampires pee, I'm just going to put it out there. It's a good one for you. Or if vampires or pee. Or if vampires pee, yes. Demon under glass. Answers that question for you. It really does. And uh, yeah, that pretty much wraps it up. So remember. Oh, I know. I was oh. just thinking if I had a good uh, segue. Mm. You have a dark brother. <laughs> Your archetypal other. He even yeah. looks like you. 
The yeah. evil, the, the dark twin, is that what yeah. you called it? Yeah, yeah. The, the dark twin. <laughs> I, I'm the good twin, by the way. Yeah. So remember, sometimes the strangest things are the most beautiful, too. So be who you are and love what you love. Until next time, friends. Bye. Bye.